thank you to Dr. Kreider and Dr. Lewis and the worship team for leading us in worship this morning. My soul has certainly been encouraged and edified as I trust yours has as well, whether gathering here this morning with us or at home. Well, let me start off with the obvious this morning as I look around a nearly empty room. Uh, We are living in trying times. Most of us, even right now this morning, know of somebody who has COVID or some other form of sickness. As we look around our culture, uh, there is much chaos and turmoil that is taking place all around us. And no doubt, each of us has at some point or the other found ourselves weary. And how many times have you heard somebody else say, or perhaps you've said it yourself, I wish things would just return to normal? Well, let me put this question before us this morning. What if God's will for you and I, for his church, is not a return to normal? What if a God whose ways are higher than our ways, whose thoughts are higher than our thoughts, has something better in store? What if, what if God wants to show us more of who he is and cause us to become more like his son through this adversity? And so the passage that I find myself coming back to time and time again, and I trust you know it as well, Romans 8, 28 and 29 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good, for those who have been called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And so as Jonathan has said, to know the son is to be overwhelmed by the goodness of God, even in the midst of adversity. And so this morning, if you would, open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We'll be looking primarily at verses 28 and 29. And for those who are live streaming, uh, there was a sermon note sent out last night. So if you'd like to pull those up, you're welcome to follow along with those. The Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. And here we see a man, the Apostle Paul himself, a man who is overwhelmed, but he's overwhelmed with the goodness of God towards him, even in his difficult times. Paul writes in Colossians 1, 28 through 29, him being Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And so the first thing that I'd like for us to consider this morning from this text is the proclamation. What is it that Paul is so passionate about as he writes this letter, which we now know as the book of Colossians? Well, Paul could have been passionate about a lot of things. There is a lot of of abuse in Paul's life, a lot of difficulties in Paul's life. In fact, as we look earlier in his ministry from 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three 23 and following, uh, Paul writes that he faced imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and he goes on and on and on to talk about all these things that had happened to him. But he wasn't doing it in a sense of complaining. Instead of complaining, even in the midst of these hardships, we see Paul, as in the book of Philippians, exhorting the church to rejoice, to rejoice always, and to give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is the will of God for them in Christ Jesus. And so, brothers and sisters, are you worried this morning? Has anxiety got a grip on you? Are you weary this morning? Are you prone to complain given the difficulty of your circumstances? Uh, Would you listen closely then to Paul's proclamation? Because it is exactly what the church needed in their day, in their tribulations, and it is exactly the same thing that you and I need each and every day of our lives. Paul's proclamation is but one thing, the chief thing. It is Christ. The proclamation of Paul here is Christ himself. And so in contrast to those in Paul's day, and part of the reason he's writing this letter is because There are others who sought to exalt themselves through proclaiming a works-based, distorted spirituality that ultimately undermined the sufficiency of the gospel, undermined the sufficiency of the scriptures. And so in refuting them, Paul comes back and says, I have one thing to proclaim, something that is far more excellent than everything that you are proclaiming, and it is Christ. In refuting the distorted spirituality in Corinth, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. While encouraging those at Philippi, Paul wrote in Philippians 1.21, To live is Christ. To live isn't the absence of difficult circumstances. To live isn't the gaining of, of something else. To live is Christ, to know him, to be found in him. And so for Paul, Christ was his all in all. And he knew that the greatest need of every human soul, including yours and mine, is not better circumstances, but it's to know Christ more fully and is to grow in Christ. And so therefore, Paul starts out this letter to the Colossians by putting forth the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. Paul shows us that Christ is to be the sum and the substance of the Christian life. He is to be front and center in the entirety of our lives. And so who is Christ then that Paul would make so much of him? Who is it that, who is Christ that Paul would proclaim him continuously Well, look with me to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 22. And and this is a passage I would encourage you to, to, if you have not before, just to take time to meditate deeply upon this, perhaps throughout this week. And even as you approach Thanksgiving, you will have much to be thankful for. But let's consider who Christ is, as Paul writes here in Colossians 1, 15 through 22. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. 
He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And so in this passage, as Paul exalts the supremacy of Christ, 19 times in just these eight verses, Paul proclaims the excellencies of Christ as the very Son of God and what he has done in order to reconcile us unto himself through his shed blood upon the cross. That is worth proclaiming. My guess is that if you were to go to the square in downtown Glen Rose this afternoon, and you were to take a survey, and you were to ask those that you encountered what they believed would truly make them happy, what would truly make them fulfilled, what would truly lead them to contentment? What might you hear? Well, likely the answers would include something like better finances, especially during this time frame. Perhaps better health. Perhaps better circumstances like a COVID-free world. Wouldn't that be great? Perhaps better relationships, as Jonathan preached last week, a wife who is a great helpmate who submits to her husband as to the Lord, or perhaps a husband who loves his wife as Christ loved the church. Or if your parents, perhaps self-parenting children. Wouldn't that be great? One of these days, maybe I'll write a book on seven steps to creating self-parenting children by the age of seven. That won't happen because of depravity, but it's a thought. But wouldn't it be great if things were all about us and our comfort and everything just worked out that way? But God's will for us isn't primarily our comfort. It is Christ-likeness. It is, it is holiness. And can I, can I bring this home as we consider our own lives? What is it that you believe, even this very moment, what is it that you believe will truly make you happy and fulfilled? What is it that would bring contentment in your life, in all things and at all times? And if our answer to that is anything other than Christ, then if I can use this analogy, it's kind of like a car whose oil has become dirty. And if not checked and renewed, in the course of time, that car becomes sluggish, and eventually it will break down all together. And such it is with us. If we seek to cling to anything, to rely upon anything, to find our true joy and contentment and satisfaction in anything other than Christ, ultimately, we will be disappointed at best. And so what is Paul's proclamation? He knows what they need. Through the Spirit of God is to us today, he knows what we need. It is Christ. And so this leads us then to a second consideration. How do we get our eyes continually redirected back unto Christ? In Colossians 1.28, Paul writes, it is through the process the process of warning and teaching. Colossians 1.28 says, Him we proclaim, 
warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. And so Paul's process here of proclaiming Christ meant that sometimes he had to warn or he had to caution others about the pathway in which they were on. And as we consider our calling today, Romans 15, 14, we see that every believer has the calling to warn others when it's, when it's necessary. And so why does God give you and I this responsibility as well to warn others? Well, perhaps let me answer that question with some questions. If we're honest with ourselves, are we all, all not prone to stray? Are we not prone to stray in our own lives? Have you ever been tempted towards self-destructing bitterness in the context of a relationship? Do we not all struggle with selfish tendencies that lead us to take our eyes off of Christ and therefore pursue our purpose or pleasure in the creation rather than in the creator himself? And so in our day, tolerance of sin has largely displaced what Paul has called us to, and that is speaking the truth in love. Sometimes we need to warn others. And the most loving thing we can do is in the midst of conversations or conduct that is not honoring to Christ, that we would open the very word of God with them and warn them. When my family went on vacation last year in Tennessee, we took our mountain bikes with us because we heard there was a lot of really good mountain bike trails in Tennessee. And so upon arrival, the first thing I did, because I was excited to go bike these trails, I began to ask the locals as to where the best bike trails were. And to my dismay, everybody I talked to says, well, we really don't know of any bike trails, but there are these hiking trails, but we really wouldn't suggest that you bike on these hiking trails. Well, having driven over 900 miles with five bikes on the back of the minivan, I had it set in my heart that I was going to mountain bike in the foothills of the Smoky Mountains. And so the next day, got the family together, and we went out and we enjoyed a breathtaking bike ride through the foothills of the Smoky Mountains. It was, it was wonderful. It was incredible. But the next day, Laura and I went out on a new ride, a different part of the terrain, and as I was going along this ridge, I turned a corner, and all of a sudden, right in front of me, right in the middle of the trail, with no way to get around, was these big, jagged rocks. And so I hit the brakes, but it was too late. As I tried to clip out of my pedal, my foot was up against a rock. There was no getting out. And so over I went, and my shin was split open to the bone. And so as I sat there sometime later in the emergency care unit, and they poured that stuff into the wound that stings really, really bad, I was beginning to wish that I would have heeded the warnings from the locals that biking the hiking trails was probably not a good idea. So when it comes to God's word, are we not often tempted to, to turn a deaf ear to the warnings that God has given us? Because there's something that we want. There's something that goes against God's word, but, but we really, really want it. Paul warned in Galatians 6, 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And so, brothers and sisters, do we take the warnings of God's word seriously? Or do we just go about perhaps what we want, pretending maybe that God doesn't actually see us? 
or maybe choosing to believe that God doesn't actually discipline those that he loves. And what about others? Do we love the wayward enough to open up the word of God with them and to warn them of the rocky path that they are on? So Paul seeks not only to warn of a false spirituality that was being taught amongst them, but also of waywardness. But he also goes on to proclaim Christ, not just through warning, but also, as we see here, through teaching. Colossians 1.28 says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. And so whereas warning is, in essence, the negative side of proclaiming truth, teaching, then, is the positive component of imparting truth. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, Teaching and admonishing. Those are the same two words that Paul uses here earlier in Colossians 1.28. Teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom. And so get this. Every believer, if you are a believer, this includes you. Your calling is to be a teacher in some capacity. Even this morning as you sang and proclaimed the truths of God to one another, you are in essence teaching and reminding one another of our glorious God. And he is worthy of all glory and honor and praise. Scheduled this afternoon, but unfortunately canceled for today, the Titus two ladies were going together. And what were they going to do? They were going to encourage and to instruct and to teach each other. Titus 2, 3, and 4 says that the older women are to teach what is good, that they may encourage the younger women. Next Sunday, Lord willing, or the Sunday after, Pastor Jonathan will hopefully be back in the pulpit after he's feeling better, and we'll continue the exposition of Ephesians chapter 5. And so this past Sunday, he taught on the role of the wife. Next Sunday, he'll teach on the role of, of the husband, and it's the husband's job to open up the Word of God, to love his, Christ, love his wife as Christ of the church by sanctifying her by the water, washing her with, this, with the water of the Word. In other words, he's to impart to her the truth. He's to teach to her who Christ is, both through his words and then also through his exemplary conduct. And so we are to teach also in the context of the home, Ephesians chapter 6, 4, fathers are to teach their children. They're to bring them up in what? In the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. And so you may not be a pastor of a local church, but if you are a believer, you have the opportunity to impart, to speak the truth into the lives of others that they need to hear for their own encouragement and edification and to be pointed unto Christ. And so Paul calls them to warn and to teach. But with what are we to warn and to teach? Well, Colossians 1.28 says, with all wisdom. With all wisdom. Now, this wisdom is not what we define, but rather it's what God has defined for us. And so as we see this word used throughout Colossians, this wisdom refers to the content of the proclamation. And the content here, as we see according to verse 125, is the very word of God. You see, Paul knew that it was through the word of God that the spirit of God makes known to us the very son of God and his supremacy over all things in every aspect of our lives. Now, before we move on, let me, let me put a couple questions before you this morning. Just something to consider this, this week. First, what mostly consumes your thoughts? Even this morning, what, what consumed, what took the majority of your thoughts? And what about yesterday and what about this past week? What were you mostly consumed with in your thoughts during your leisure time? Is it the, the things 
and the concerns of the world that primarily consumed you? Or is it the word of God dwelling richly within you? We will be consumed by something all the time. And Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let's be consumed by that. And so I would encourage you, if you are struggling to find your daily delight in the Lord Jesus Christ, it may be time to take a little break from all those news, news feeds and, and those Facebook pages and all those other things. First and foremost, spend time with your Savior through the word that he has given to you. Find your delight in him. And as you do so, you will have much in which to be thankful. A second question, in what ways can you point others to Christ through your conversations with them and in your conduct towards them? In what ways can we encourage others with the very word of God as we speak truths unto them and as we show them Christ's likeness? Well, going back to Colossians 1.28, Paul's resolve here was to proclaim Christ, and he was doing so through warning and teaching. But to whom did he seek to proclaim Christ? Who was his audience? Who was he seeking to make Christ known unto? Well, note here the threefold emphasis related to Paul's audience. He writes, him we proclaim, warning who? Everyone. And teaching who? Everyone. With all wisdom. That we may present who? Everyone mature in Christ. And so we know Paul, earlier on in Ephesus, he would go to the public square and for hours a day he would proclaim Christ to anybody who would hear. But also he proclaims Christ to the believers that they might be built up into Christ. And so as with Paul, we must yearn for everyone to not just to know about Christ, but to know Christ in such a way that according to Colossians 3.11, Christ would be their all in all. And so who is this everyone that, that needs Christ proclaimed to them? Well, as we think through humanity, as we have a biblical understanding of humanity, ultimately there's only two categories of people. There are unbelievers and then there are believers. And so to the unbelievers this morning, I pray that the message that Paul has for you in Colossians would fall upon fertile soil. For you see, Paul is telling us in this letter that you can not make yourself right with God because of what you do or what you don't do. Salvation is a free gift that is offered to you despite your best works, not because of them. Paul makes this clear in Colossians 2.13. He says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And so God does not accept us because we submit to him a resume of our self-righteousness. We are accepted before the Father only as we look to Christ and trust in his perfect righteousness on our behalf. It is by grace through faith that we are saved. Are you looking to Christ? And are you trusting him alone for the forgiveness of your sins and be reconciled unto God? And for the believers here this morning, to those who are watching, we also need Christ. 
Yes, we needed Christ for our justification, and we continue to need Christ every day of our lives for our ongoing sanctification. And so my children and I, the older ones, like to go out into the backyard and occasionally shoot our bows. And so in archery, there's a target, and the goal is, as you draw your bow, to keep your sights fixed upon that target, upon that bullseye, to give it great intentionality, to hold it steady, that you might hit what you're aiming for. And if we bring that analogy over into the Christian life, if we are to hit the bullseye, so to speak, if we are to grow into maturity, there is something in which we must fix our eyes upon, and it is Christ. For he alone is altogether worthy and excellent. He alone is perfect. And so we look to Christ that we may increasingly become more and more like him. And so what is the purpose of Paul proclaiming Christ to everyone through warning and teaching? Well, Paul lays out that purpose there at the end of verse 28. Colossians 1.28 says, Christ is proclaimed, why? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. So why is it that we open up the word of God? Why is it that we talk to others about the things of God? Ultimately, it's that we may present them mature in Christ. To that end, Sinclair Ferguson wrote in his book entitled Maturity, he wrote, Jesus Christ is both the author of our faith and the one who matures and perfects it. He died to bring us to maturity. He liveth to accomplish that goal. It is the reason why he gave us the ministry of his word, which when exercised faithfully, nourishes all the other spiritual gifts in the church. If maturity was the great goal of the apostles' ministry, then it ought to be the goal in our own lives too and the deep desire of our hearts. And so when we come to Christ, when we start off our our spiritual journey, we do so kind of like one of my sons. And I'll let you guess which one of those sons it would be. But on his second birthday, we were celebrating his second birthday in a most excellent place in the state of Oklahoma. And his grandparents brought to him this large gift that was beautifully wrapped. And he dug into it, ripped the wrapping paper off. And on the side of this box, there was this plastic mower that looked like as you pushed it, these bubbles would come out of it. And so as he unwrapped that, he was absolutely taken, completely enthralled for the next several minutes with the box. It wasn't until we we got this mower and we showed him how it works that he decided, oh, I understand now, that's far better. And so he got on this little push lawn mower and he's, he's blowing bubbles across the yard, just mowing away the big grin on his face. What took place? He came to understand the gift that was given and how it was to be used. He matured in his understanding. And likewise, as we consider our own lives, we are called to continue to grow in our knowledge, our understanding of Christ. We are to present everyone mature in Christ. That is the calling that Christ has given to you and I as the church, to present one another mature in Christ. Now that then raises a question, does it not? Well, if that's what we're called to do, then what does maturity look like? What is it we're aiming for? How can we know if we are mature and and what are we seeking to develop in others that they might also be mature in Christ? 
And so Paul gives us a snapshot of what that looks like as we consider the text here. As we go back to the beginning of Colossians, as Paul does in many of his letters, he does an introduction and then he prays for them. And often in his prayer for them, he basically unpacks what he's going to talk about in the course of that letter. And and that's the same here in Colossians. Paul prays for them that they would be mature in Christ. And we see several characteristics of what it means to be mature in Christ, even in his prayer for them. And so the first point on your hand out there, we see that maturity, what we're to encourage each other towards, what we're to become ourselves is those who are characterized by constant prayer. To be mature in Christ is to be one who is constant in prayer. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, we do not or we have not ceased to pray for you. Paul loves them enough that he prays for them continuously. We have not ceased to pray for you. Paul prays without ceasing as he seeks then to present them mature in Christ. Likewise, further in Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Epaphras was always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. And so let me put this question before us. Are you struggling in your relationships with others, perhaps in your own home, perhaps at your workplace, perhaps even in the context of the local church? Well, that could be a really good thing if you're struggling for them on their behalf in your prayers. That's how we are to struggle for others and with others is through prayer. A few verses earlier, according to Colossians 4.2, in our relationships with others, we likewise must continue steadfastly in prayer for them. And so you've heard this before. If you truly love someone, you'll pray for them. And the more that you pray for them, the more that you'll find yourself then loving them. We truly love someone, we'll pray for them. And the more we pray for them, the more that we will love them, pointing them again to Christ, the one who alone is able to save and to sanctify and satisfy their very souls. J.R. Miller, Miller wrote that no time is so well spent in every day as that which we spend upon our knees. And so a first mark of maturity is constant prayer. A second mark of maturity is a comprehensive knowledge of God's word. And so going back to Colossians 1 verses 9 and 10, Paul prays for them asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding and increasing then in the knowledge of God. In Ephesians chapter 4, 12 through 15, Paul wrote that we are to build up the body of Christ to mature manhood. Well, how do we do that? By speaking the truth in love, that we might grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. And so as we seek to impress the word of God upon our own hearts, we're also called to impart the word of God to others, praying that the spirit of God would grant them understanding. And yet maturity involves not only having knowledge, but a third characteristic of biblical maturity of Christ-likeness is Christ-like conduct. Christ-like conduct. According to Colossians 1, 10 and also Colossians 3.17, the knowledge of Christ leads us then, a proper knowledge leads us to walk or conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, 
bearing fruit in every good work, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so related to conduct, did you hear these words that we're called to? Fully pleasing, whatever you do, do everything. And so our conduct, as people watch our lives, should ultimately point them to Christ. As Paul describes in Colossians 3.18, all the way through chapter 4, verse 6, the one who is mature in Christ longs to see Christ as all in all of life, whether in the home, whether in the church, whether in the community, wherever they're at. And so in the chaos of this world, our conduct is an opportunity to see Christ exalted. We want to lead others. We want to point others to the Prince of Peace who has brought us peace with God and can bring them peace even in the midst of their difficult circumstances. We need to point them to Christ in all things and for all things. A fourth characteristic of maturity is continuous thankfulness. Continuous thankfulness. And so maturity is characterized by gospel-compelled thankfulness. Again, Paul prays in Colossians 1, 12-14, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so as we meditate upon the gospel and what has been accomplished and who we now are in Christ, thankfulness, gratitude displaces grumbling. When we're prone to grumble, when we're prone to complain, Take time to think back on that which you have not only been forgiven of, but also that which you have been given. The immeasurable blessings given to us as God's people. Immeasurable blessings. He promises to supply all of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Milton Vincent, in a good little book called The Gospel Primer, writes this. When I look at any circumstance that God apportions me, I am first grateful for the wrath I am not receiving in that moment. Second, I am grateful for the blessings that are given me instead of God's wrath. We all have something to be thankful for all the time if you are in Christ. You do not get what you deserve. Hell, eternal separation, God's just wrath for you for all of eternity. But instead, we've been given life, life abundant, eternal life. We've been given Christ. And so as we enter into this Thanksgiving week, let us give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. That brings us then to a fifth characteristic of maturity, which is contemplating eternity. Those who are mature in Christ know that this life is not what it's ultimately all about. It ultimately is about the life to come. Colossians 1, verses 5 and 27, Paul reminds them of the hope laid up for them in heaven and of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so maturity involves living with an eternal perspective. Further into the letter, Paul writes in Colossians 3, 2 through 4, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So many people are struggling in so many ways right now because where are their minds set? Ultimately, it's the things of this earth, not on things that are above. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him 
in glory. To that end, Charles Spurgeon wrote, let the future sanctify the present to the highest uses. Let the future sanctify the present to the highest uses. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, the hope of heaven is the most potent force for the production of virtue. It is the fountain of joyous effort. It is the cornerstone of cheerful holiness. The man who has this hope in Jesus goes about his work with vigor, for the joy of the Lord is his strength. And so if you are in Christ, are not constant prayer, comprehensively knowing God's word, Christ-like conduct, continuous thanksgiving, and contemplating eternity, areas in which you desire to grow in, things that you want to more fully characterize you, but not only that, to see this characterized in the lives of others as well. And yet, there is a tension here, is there not? How many of you are thinking, this is way too intimidating? And Paul knows that to be the case. Consider what is penned next and their inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We are, we are called to present everyone mature in Christ, and yet often we feel inadequate to present anyone mature in Christ, much less everyone. And yet, in understanding this and having this sense of humility, Paul then points out in 1, chapter 1, verse 29, the power that we need. The power that we need, it is divine. And so having stated his ambition to proclaim Christ and to present everyone mature in Christ, Paul immediately follows up in verse 29 with these words, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And so the toil and struggle here that Paul uses, these words is language that indicates an intentional, intense striving that would be described of an athlete who is given it everything he has in order to win the gold medal. When it came to the maturities of others, Paul toiled. He struggled, and yet he did not in his own strength. He did so through Christ who strengthens him. And so Paul knew that his strength and his wisdom were finite, but he also knew that God's power and his wisdom were infinite and at work within him. And so if you are struggling this morning, perhaps with discouragement and seeking in your own life to be characterized as being mature in Christ, or you are discouraged about this calling that's given to us as a church to present one another mature in Christ then don't look at your own inadequacies. Look at Christ and his perfections. Look at Christ, the one who with the call supplies all that you need for his service. Look to him. In him we can indeed do all things according to his calling. And so in light of our need for Christ and this great proclamation of Christ, listen again to these words from Charles Spurgeon. If you have left Christ or left out Christ, there is no manna from heaven, no water from the rock, no refuge from the storm, no healing for the sick, no life for the dead. If you leave out Christ, you, you have left the sun out of the day and the moon out of the night. You have left the waters out of the sea and the floods out of the river. You have left the harvest out of the year, the soul out of the body. 
you have left joy out of heaven. Yea, you have robbed all of its all. There is no gospel worth thinking of, much less worth proclaiming in Jehovah's name if Jesus be forgotten. We must have Jesus then as Alpha and Omega in all. And so let us consider afresh the mercy and grace of God towards us in Christ. And let us proclaim him in word and in the deeds of our life that he might indeed be our all in all. As the worship team comes forward at this time, I want you to listen to these words that we are about to sing in our song of response here in a moment. Listen to these words. So spirit, come put strength in every stride. Give grace for every hurdle that we may run with faith to win the prize of a servant, good and faithful. As saints of old still line the way, retelling triumphs of his grace, we hear their calls and hunger for the day when with Christ we stand in glory. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you have revealed to us through your word by your spirit, Christ. And Father, in my own life, I ask for your forgiveness in the ways that I have lived as if and proclaimed other things to be more important than him. Father, I am guilty of idolatry. And Father, I thank you again for Christ, who is the propitiation for my sins, for the sins of your people. We thank you that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Father, we thank you that in Christ, indeed, there is life. And indeed, there is life more abundant. And in the midst of whatever circumstances we may face, we can say with Paul, we have learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance. For to have Christ is to have everything. And to know that Christ is with us as our refuge, our strength, our very present help in time of trouble. Father, we have confidence and we have great comfort. And so we thank you for making us one with your Son. May he be exalted in our lives. And even now as we sing this song unto you, in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.